Hello friends, welcome back to Imago Gay. I play on the term Imago Day because the dignity of LGBTQ lives matter. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Today I have a special episode. It's an interview I did with the president of SDA Kinship International and sponsor for Imago Gay, Floyd Peanuts. In honor of Pride Month, I want to highlight kinship and the people behind it and the effort they have dedicated to create safe spaces for LGBTQ Adventists. I love hearing stories of people who have long been in the struggle for equity and witnessed steady progress toward equality and inclusion in society while continuing to work patiently with churches to envision a safer and more diverse environment. For those listening, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and our sponsors for today are Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. So make sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. Let's get into it. My name is Floyd Peanuts and live in the Dallas, Texas area. I grew up here in Texas. I'm a second generation American. My family all came from Germany and I'm a third generation Adventist on my dad's side. So I grew up in a rural community in South Texas. We were one of very few Adventists in our county or in our area. It was a very big part of growing up, worship two times a day in the morning at night, praying before meals. Everything was focused around the church and around Jesus' second coming because it was imminent. Growing up, I never thought I would finish high school. I never would finish college. I would never get married. And that's way back in my rearview mirror now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's been, been a few years. I hear a lot of people who have actually shared the same story. It's hard to plan for the future when Jesus is coming in just a few moments. Did that affect the way that you thought about the future? And also, did that affect the way and the timing in which you came out at one point? Oh, yeah, big time. Because, you know, why think about coming out or all these other things? Why even worry about them? when you knew that Jesus was coming maybe tomorrow and that should be your main focus. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even though I realized that I was different and didn't have a word for that difference uh, way back at age of five or six or whatever, and then it got stronger from there, but, but you never worried about really defining that because you were there to tell other people about Jesus and that he was coming and share with them the Sabbath and and all these other good things about the Adventist church. And because of that being instilled in me, I wanted to be a pastor. And so, you know, from fairly young on, my goal was to share this good news via being a pastor. Again, never thinking that I'd actually go to college to study that because Jesus would have come before then. So yeah, that kind of put a lens on everything that you did growing up. I wonder, so let me walk us through a little bit of this. You hear this story a lot. I think people always ask the question, so when did you know? And I always don't know why that's a question. Are they asking for themselves? Are they doing internal investigations? (laughs) But what was that experience like coming out in a religious environment? Walk us through, how did you get to the point where the second coming may not be as imminent and you want to start affirming yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Again, coming out, I didn't come out as gay until much later, but I think I started coming out to myself as different 
<laughs> at the early age of five, going to school six, um, being exposed to other people and seeing what they were doing and how they were acting and reacting to just situations. And I knew that my reactions were different. Now, were they different because I was an Adventist and we were unique or was it because of something else? And, you know, even in church though, I would see in Sabbath school, I interacted with the kids in there, but I still felt different. I, I didn't feel that my difference was uniform or seen across the, the board with other Adventists. So again, I kind of just dismissed that as maybe it's part of my uniqueness as an Adventist. So I went to public school, one through 12, and it had very religious aspects. So we had a prayer group in the morning from different mm-hmm. religions, and, and we could still talk about the Bible outside of class that kind of thing. So I, I never felt that the, the religious part of my growing up and, and even school experience was lacking. But then I was really excited because going to college, I went to Southwestern in Keene, Texas, and that's where I wanted to study theology and live my dream because Jesus still hadn't come, but he was about to come. I knew it. There was a lot happening (laughs) and the world was getting worse and each thing was a sign that Jesus was about to come. So that was also the point where the term homosexuality or gay was being heard of more and more in the media with Anita Bryant and her orange juice commercials, the Stonewall riots, and those types of things were happening. AIDS was starting. So there was a lot of talk, but there wasn't a lot of talk in the church that was really relevant to me. I know that in college, I was exposed to other gay guys and also some lesbians there in college. We were all very underground. And that's kind of where I started this coming out. But but you have those tapes in your head that Jesus is coming soon. And you still kind of shelve that off into, well, it'll take care of itself once once we all get to heaven. <laughs> but I was pursuing the, the theology thing, at least my freshman and sophomore years. My sophomore year, I went to our Adventist school in Austria. Since German was my first language, I thought it would just be easy to go to school, study German, get a, a German minor, visit my family in Germany, and continue studying theology, which I did. But mm-hmm. I also knew that in order to be a pastor, you had to be married and have a wife. So I knew I had these feelings for guys, wasn't really attracted to women, but that was the normal thing and expected thing of you. So there was this really super cute girl at school at Bogenhofen. And the minute she walked into the classroom, I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And so that was my (laughs) pursuit for the rest of the time, because this was all preparing me for possible ministry and and Jesus coming again. I have to ask you a question about this because... I hear a lot of people repeat this story where somebody walks in the room and they say, that person's going to be my wife or something like that, right? Uh So what was it about this person that you were like, okay, I know this is the one. And and obviously you're gay, so she wasn't the one, but what was it in your head that she fit that you were like, this is going to complete my picture for marriage? Yeah, there was something about her aura and, and, you know, she had long, dark hair, you know, down to her waist kind of thing. And I was looking for a girl. She wasn't the typical American girl. I mean, I was very German in a German family. And so she was actually French or had grown up in France, Switzerland area and uh, been connected to Adventism. She was learning German 
you know, she ticked off all those boxes. You know, she was really cute. And uh, I don't know, she had an aura about her. Mm -hmm. And because she came in late, there was kind of already a bad girl challenge something there. You know, it wasn't (laughs) just an easy, this is it. It was already a, a challenge for me kind of thing. And so I don't know. I kind of follow that through. Yeah. Um, so, so challenge yeah. accepted. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And she wasn't so willing. It took me all mm-hmm. year of wooing and, and uh, convincing. And then after the year was over, she actually came back to Keene to finish studying. And uh, after we finished school, we had known each other, I guess, almost three years. And then we got married. Wow. And that's a whole different story. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) You know, it's so interesting, though, because I talked to one of our guests, but she is transgender and served during the Vietnam conflict, right? And before she got drafted, she went and signed herself up. But she's living in a time where, where transgender was not a term. You know, and it's crazy to me, you're saying like, we didn't really have a term for homosexual, like, to to me, it's so prevalent in our culture now, right? It's so Mm -hmm. celebrated and everybody knows what that word means. I mean, I can't imagine what it must've been like to, to live in a world where you don't have a term for yourself, right? Or or a way to self-identify. Right, right. And as soon as that term came around, you actually learn to live that dual life before I was a little kid, you know, it was like, we really didn't know. But then when you realize that gay actually fit what I was feeling and experiencing, but yet the church was telling you that gay is bad, is wrong. And you're hearing it on the little bit of media that you have on TV, you start living this double life. And, and, and it's like, there were two Floyds. There was a straight Mm -hmm. Floyd who was the exemplary Adventist. And there was a gay Floyd trying to navigate, what does this all mean? And I I want to be happy like everyone else, but I can't merge those two together. And so, I mean, that was the whole process. And we got married and six years later divorced. But during those six years, it was like trying to live two lives and and just not knowing which one, you know, was the real Floyd and which one is the one that God wants Floyd to be. And that was probably the biggest struggle. And, and Jesus still hadn't come. <laughs> so <laughs> so my, my junior year, when I did go back to Keene, though, I switched from theology to business administration. I realized that the church was not ready for me. I was not ready for the church. And my wife-to-be was not the perfect Adventist pastor's wife. She was a wonderful person, but you know, not, not necessarily the pastor's wife. So I changed to business administration so I could still finish school college in the four years and not just wander through the wilderness, not knowing what I was looking for. And looking back, I'm glad I did. Of course, I have no real regrets in life. Every experience that I had, every decision was something that molded me into who I am today, who, you know, it's not a perfect person, but, you know, I like my journey and I feel that God's been with me each step of the way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So when would you say that you like came out publicly, you, you mentioned something about like when that became a term, like the, the two Floyds who were, mm-hmm. you know, the one who was like the shadow Floyd who doesn't have a name and then straight Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> did they finally come together as one person? And when did yeah. that start taking place? 
Yeah, definitely they did. I'm one who likes to have all my ducks in a row before I actually open the curtains and let people see. <laughs> so, yeah. so I did a lot of studying on my own. What does it mean to be gay? And I think this was still while I was married because I told my wife that about three years into the marriage that I was not sure. I thought, I said, you know, I, I like guys. I don't know if that means I'm bisexual or gay or what. And she was a, a missionary's daughter, had spent a lot of time in Cameroon, Africa, and, you know, was very plugged into the church and not familiar with what it meant to be gay either. And so she said, what does that mean? And I said, I, I don't know what it means exactly. And I don't know what it means for our marriage. I, I love you and I'd like to stay with you but I'm also have this attraction for guys. So for the next three years, we kind of muddled through that. <laughs> and uh, there was, it was a big roller coaster ride of emotions. And I did a lot of studying at that point. And my big thing was, is God okay with me being a gay person? I've mm -hmm. already messed up this woman's life and her family and all that kind of thing. And I didn't want to make the wrong decisions with God. And so I did a lot of studying and read what we now call the clobber texts, uh, the Bible texts that possibly refer to same-sex relations. And it didn't feel like they were talking about Floyd. What they were talking about was a different experience than what I was feeling inside of me. And mm -hmm. I started the coming out probably at that point, right before we divorced at six years, I had got, gotten some gay friends, and of course, they knew about me, and no other straight friends that I know of, but I was at home for Thanksgiving with my wife, my mom, my dad, my sister, and her husband, and after the Thanksgiving meal, I said, before everybody kind of goes off and does their own thing, I have an announcement to make. This is probably the last year you're going to see my wife join us for holidays, and the eyes got big, and it was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, and I took a deep breath and I looked at my wife and I said, do you want to tell him? <laughs> and, and she said, sure. It's because Floyd likes guys more than he likes girls. Mm. And that was my coming out to my parents. <laughs> wow. My dad got up from the table and, he, and we lived on the farm. So he said, I, I got to go outside. There are things I got to do with the tractor. That was his response. <laughs> And my mom said, well, we need to clear the table and do the dishes. Then a couple of times she did say that she loved me and that she had watched Oprah. And so she knew about gay people from mm. Oprah. And uh, that was her exposure. And she wanted to know, am I okay? And am I healthy or sick? Was her way of asking, you know, assuming things, <laughs> not knowing anything, but assuming. And I told her, yes, I'm happy and I'm healthy. And she said, well, I still love you. Just don't ever tell anybody about oh, this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was the oh, wow. And that kind of haunted me forever because I love my parents. And it's a different generation, a different culture, a different just everything. They were still it's, also yeah. in the Jesus is coming soon. So don't do anything stupid. You've got to hold on until he gets yeah, here. You exactly, know, just exactly. don't live your life yet. <laughs> but that wasn't working for me. Yeah. I thought that once I got married, I would be changed. I would hear bells go off and all of a sudden I would be straight and a guy walking by would not catch my attention at all. Uh, but mm -hmm. that wasn't the case. And actually it got stronger just because I guess I was more frustrated with things. So once I got divorced, that really started my coming out. But then sitting down with other people 
and studying the text, I realized what I had always felt was the text weren't talking about my situation, my attraction, my loving someone else of the same gender. And once I felt that way, I was kind of right with God, and I just laid it aside. I didn't want to like memorize and, and studying exactly what Malakoy and, and you know, all the different terms were, were talking about. I just started le- leading my life. And, and your uh, experience kind of lined up with a sense of, I feel at peace with God right now. Right, right. So that straight Floyd was slowly shrinking and dying, and the gay Floyd was becoming more full and more close with the relationship with God that I feel that I was meant to be. So so I, I, I'm curious, something I often hear said by professors in my classrooms, that God has not promised us a sexually fulfilling life. And sometimes you just have to grit and bear it. I don't know if they're talking from personal experience or if they are giving some type of prescription, but kind of the latter days of that marriage, what was the breaking point? You know, you obviously love this person, but at some point it was just too much. What about that was just like, I cannot make this work anymore? Yeah, I could make it work that day. I could probably make it work tomorrow, maybe even the day after tomorrow, but I couldn't guarantee 10 years down the road, 15 or whatever. And at that point, you know, we were still in our 20s when we divorced. So, you know, we still had our lives hopefully ahead of us and could make happy decisions. But what if we decided in 20 years that it just wasn't working and to divorce at that point? You know, it would have been much harder for her, much harder for me. I don't think God wants us to settle for second best. And not that she was second best or the marriage was second best, but for my life, it wasn't my ideal. I still love her and I wanted the best for her. And I knew that I was not the best. And my coming out was a very bad time for her. And there was lots of other stuff going on. And so it was like ripping the bandage off or bandaid off. It was like, okay, do it now because it's not going to get any easier later on. The older I get, I realize that, you know, Jesus might not come tomorrow, but at some point my life is going to be over and that will be, you know, Jesus That'll will be it. for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know I'm 34 and I'm already thinking, man, I got just a few years left. You know, you never know. You never know. It's interesting though, you're coming out and you said something really profound about when you're reading those clobber texts, you're like, this is not describe Floyd. This is describing something else. And like, how long before you came to a place of where you felt you could return back to church participation at some level to say, I feel like this is not apply to me. We may have taken a wrong turn. I feel like I'm at a good place with God. Was there a point that you tried to return and what did that journey look like for you? Yeah, I consider myself one of the more fortunate ones, really. While we were married, still going to church, that kind of stuff. I never stopped the church part of it. That was always a very important part for me. And I had gotten involved with kinship. And at one point, I was changing churches. I had moved from Arlington to Dallas. My membership was at the Arlington Church. I started attending in Dallas and the pastor said, hey, if you really want to be involved with with activities here in church, you really need your membership here. And I said, okay, that's fine. And at that point, he already knew that I was gay. 
And uh, I said, that's going to be a problem. And he said, no, it's not, not really. And so he started the member transfer process and, you know, you do your first reading, your second reading, whatever. And then the final reading, I remember very plainly, I was there in church and I had been active in, in the Dallas church quite a bit at that point. And uh, he did the reading and one lady stood up and she said, I object. We cannot have an open homosexual transfer his membership into our congregation. And two or three people stood up in her support and the pastor just kept talking. He never took a beat there. He just kept talking. He said, all in favor of Floyd becoming a member here, say aye. And it was like a lot of eyes and, and there were like three opposed or whatever. And he said, welcome as a new member of the Dallas First Church. And it was a lot of applause. Everybody was standing up for me and applauding. It was very affirming. So that's why I say I'm very lucky. And uh, that's been quite a few pastors ago now. And uh, so my membership is still at that church and uh, still an active member. The current pastor, you know, is very aware of my role with kinship and my enthusiasm and uh, somewhat supports it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I want to reflect back something that you said a while ago and just kind of an affirmation. You were saying that when when you came out, your mom was like, okay, don't tell anybody. I literally know somebody who had a counseling session with one of the professors at the seminary and had a story of bisexuality. And they literally told this person, don't ever tell anybody about this or, yeah. or, or, or don't tell your spouse about this, right? Because mm-hmm. this person was not married yet. But if you ever do get married, you cannot share this. And it's like, how can you expect a, a marriage to last without any kind of honesty and to say, we're just going to pretend that this doesn't exist, you know, and just going to keep railroading through this? You know, I, I you didn't have language at the time that, mm-hmm. you know, you were married. And, and I, I also want to say kudos to you for like recognizing and doing what I think is the right thing, which is like, Hey, we're in our twenties. Like we got time to repair. Let's just be honest. I, I feel like the way that we have treated marriage sometimes and holding the institution as more important than the people in it, the church has made allowance for divorcees, right? There, there are things that we say on the books about divorcees that we actually mm-hmm. don't practice because the number of them in our church is so high, right. right? But we don't do the same practice when it comes to LGBTQ members because it's not the same percentage wise. So we know how to be flexible in our theology when the majority of the members are, you know, basically affected by that theology in that right. sense. Right. And that's why it's important for LGBTQ people to bring this subject up and talk about it openly because as a church and I think Christianity in general maybe is so used to sweeping things under the rug and making it look like oh everything is really cleaned up in here we have our act together when we don't and and humans in general don't have their acts together I mean that's part of being human is to you know navigate through the ups and the downs and if we only pretend that we have ups we're never really a genuine person. And I I don't see that that's what God created us. He wanted community with us, but he wanted community with who we are and not who we pretend we are. And so that's why I couldn't pretend to be straight any longer. 
Uh, this is so good. I, I've been watching all these renovation shows and, uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel like coming to Christ should be like the ultimate renovation. Like I was literally watching this one where the, the, the house had no foundation to it. Mm-hmm. It was just sitting on some pegs or whatever. And a church can be like, okay, well, we're just going to continue. There's no foundation here. It doesn't matter. Let's right. just clean this up and keep moving. Or you can actually do the work, dig it up and see what's really there and actually build a real foundation and not try to pass off this house as being sellable when it's not. Yeah, but I think that's <laughs> what our pioneers actually were doing when they were starting the Adventist church and the Adventist movement. It's like, okay, let's be real. I, I was listening to, to Ted Wilson this morning on the general conference mini session that happened today about allowing people to vote via Zoom or, or electronic or whatever. And you know, that same message of Jesus is coming soon was still there. And it was almost triggering for me because it's not that I don't believe Jesus can come soon, but we get so involved with that message that we forget to live. And I think we were created to live and have a relationship with God. And we have this, um, I was talking to someone the other day about, we have this kind of self erasure culture Mm -hmm. of saying being a Christian is the only identity you're allowed to have. And, and it erases the complexity of who we are. And I think also this idea of Jesus is coming soon is a very kind of emergency mentality. And it doesn't allow you to plan ahead for your life. How can you plan to spend five years doing a PhD if Jesus is coming in a year or two? Right. Uh, you should be spending every day sharing the gospel on the streets. And it, yeah. like you can't be forward thinking if you're living under that type of fear. Yeah. It didn't work in 1844, and it's not working in 2022. I mean, we can't sell our farms, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good intentions, but a lot of real economic repercussions from that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you were coming out and and you had this kind of acceptance from this church, Mm -hmm. you know, how did you envision moving forward how did you get involved with SDA kinship? And how did you begin to start thinking forwardly about your life at that moment? Yeah, it was like a new beginning. I had heard about kinship actually in college. Okay. I came in from class into my dorm room and somebody had slipped a piece of paper under the door. And it was a flyer saying something about, are you Adventist and gay? So are we call this number. And I quickly grabbed it, folded it up and put it in my pocket. It was like, okay, I don't want my roommate to see this because he'll think I'm gay and uh, that would be bad. And uh, so I thought I was being targeted for this. Somehow someone had found out my secret and uh, I'd slipped this under my door. Well, I found out that Kinship was doing a college promotional thing and slipped it under every single door in the dorms. Again, I, you know, I was in my late teens and... I thought that it was just a group of dirty old men who had less than pure intentions of trying to connect with other people. Then towards the end of the marriage, I had met some other gay people and I had gone actually to sit outside in the parking lot of gay bars and watch people go in just to see what they looked like. But they all looked like me. Kinship sent me the Connection newsletter and I got to see people in there. There were pictures of Adventists who were gay and they all looked normal. So I started subscribing to this newsletter that went to my work address in a plain brown paper envelope. 
So I got familiar. And then once I was divorced, I, I wrote him and said, hey, I would like to get more involved. And then I attended my first camp meeting soon after that. I wanted to always ask people, are you really still Adventist? You know, even though you think this, and I've learned that a label, even Adventist, is something that we choose for ourselves, not the church. If we want to be Adventist, we're Adventist. Uh, whether your membership has been removed or whatever, it's like what feels comfortable for you. Wow. Wow. That sounds like such a beautiful experience to it just was. have that, you know, just to have all of yourself included, right? So how did you move into becoming president? And then what are you guys doing that you feel like is so vital in the space of church organization? Yeah, I, I loved being a part of this group, this movement. And so I wanted to be able to share that with other people coming out, trying to make it easier for them. If they know that this group exists, that they're not alone, they're not the only one in the whole world who's Adventist and feeling these feelings. So I had ideas, you know, when I first joined, everything was postal. So, you know, you sent the Connection magazine in the mail, you wrote to people, this kind of thing. And then I went to work for Microsoft and they were just opening up their offices here. And we had this really neat thing called email and there were message boards where you could get together. So I created all these boards where we could chat with people at Andrews and, and Walla Walla and in different places and we would meet. We had our message bot, we named it Ellen White. And so we would meet on Ellen White, you know, on certain days and chat with each other. That was really cool. And then we started talking about the internet and it's like, well, what if we had a web page? but who looks on the internet? Nobody looks at the internet. That's just for big companies back then. But anyway, we did create a, a website and, you know, I was kind of the driving force of some of that. And now we have a wonderful website sdakinship.org. Got to put a plug in there. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's really developed. And so I've had different roles, was vice president most recently before this. And it's hard to get people to commit and to join up and, and be a part of something. They're glad you exist, but not everyone has time to invest in doing things. So mm -hmm. the president, Yolanda, had been doing this for a while and she needed a little bit of a break. And so I said, sure. So I ran for president and been the official president now for a little over a year. So, so yeah. You said something key. I think people do appreciate that you exist just to know that this is a space if they need it to Bye. come to. And in fact, I may have heard of you guys a while ago and it just totally dropped off my radar. But when you guys were doing a promotion of like giving the free unclobber yeah. book, Right. I signed up for this cool. good, good. <laughs> and it was such a helpful resource and it really put you on the map in my mind of thinking, oh, okay, there's actually a, a Seventh-day Adventist space that is affirming right. and it's not looking to change you. Right. Can I ask a, a little bit about a change ministries and what yeah. your relationship and SDA kinship's relationship has been with change ministries. And just for those listening, change ministries are those that believe that homosexuality, gayness is something to be recovered from and that gayness is broken and it's not God's ideal. And so it's something that you have to go to recovery for. And typically in the church, they have accepted ministries like change ministries. What's your exactly. relationship been with that uh, other side of how Adventism is dealing with LGBTQ members? 
Yeah, yeah. While, while you were talking about that, I was going to say that we are the only affirming Adventist-connected organization, ministry, whatever, for LGBTQIA plus individuals. There have been through the years other groups, but they stipulate that, you know, being gay is a sin. Maybe we were born that way, maybe we weren't, but you have to live celibate, et cetera, et cetera. So they weren't truly affirming of the individual where they're at in their journey. And that's the beauty of kinship and the diversity is that we affirm everyone, even if you believe that way, you know, we're still a space where you can grow and explore. We've had a, a very difficult relationship with change ministries. The first one, uh, the Adventist Church was kind of the pioneer of change ministries with Colin Cook and the fiasco there. Colin Cook was a British Adventist pastor who was gay, and he came to America and felt that being gay was a sin and worked on trying to change himself. And we invited several pastors, teachers, et cetera, to the first kinship camp meeting 40 years ago, 43 years ago now, I believe. And uh, he was one of those that were there that came to uh, the meeting and spoke to us, listened to us, listened to our stories. And all of the other attendees became super great allies through the years. He's the only one who disagreed. And he went on to start Quest Ministry in Reading, Pennsylvania. And this was a change ministry that the church supported financially with our tithes and sent tons and tons of mainly Adventist males to this to get changed because Colin Cook promised uh, a change. I don't think anyone changed, but it was found that in Colin's therapy that he was giving these people that included uh, long hugs and improper sexual relations with the counselees. And one of the kinship uh, members found out about this, investigated, and then exposed it, and exposed it to the church. And uh, the church stopped the funding, but unfortunately never said, hey, I'm sorry for what we did to ruin the lives of all these Adventist gay boys. And so that's been a, a kind of a thorn or a, a dividing point or whatever. So yeah, the church then did not have a ministry. And it's not recently, but in, in the last several years, there were several uh, ministers who said, hey, I'm gay, but I'm overcoming it every day. And I am going to join together with others. And we're going to start a ministry. And it's called Coming Out Ministries. And it's for people who are trying to leave what they term the gay lifestyle, which I haven't figured out what a gay lifestyle is yet, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. So and can I just say, and no shade to anybody involved in coming out, but on their documentary, as I'm listening to their stories, a lot of it is, you know, this guy is having sex every week in bathhouses and spas, and it doesn't seem related to his sexuality as much as it's related to something else. And maybe a regular therapy session that might be categorized as like, okay, you might have a sex addiction problem, right? And some of what they would probably term pathologies that they're experiencing, that they're trying to escape from are not necessarily tied to their queerness. It's tied to these other really unhealthy habits, right? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head actually there. And that's, that's my, my big complaint. If they 
only talked about their homosexuality or whatever, but in most of the cases, and not in all the cases, but in most of the cases, the leaders of the group had a bad childhood. They're not what their parents had hoped them to be. And so they equate that all with homosexuality. And that's exactly, I think, what our church wants to hear. And the people that hear this message are just eating that up, saying, see, they came back from God and they left all this behind. But all these unhealthy habits were all a result of the church and society not accepting them for who they truly were and affirming them. So if that's something that's not in the cards for you and you don't want that, that's fine. But don't say that everyone has to follow that same rule because that's not what the Bible says. So, Yeah. And it's one of those things, and we'll probably get into this in a later episode. It's like that celibacy historically is something that Adventism has not condoned, right? It's moved away from the Catholic notions of celibate priests, and they recognize how damaging that was. The Reformation happened. Martin Luther recognized that this was a damaging practice, but to say that that it's not damaging for the LGBTQ community. And it's like, where's the evidence for this? You know, like they, are they not also human beings, right? So I think that's- It's a point to not face the facts. Thank you all for listening this week. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. I am so grateful for all of you who have reached out and have been sharing your personal stories, tragedies, and triumphs within the LGBTQ journey of faith. If you are enjoying this content, please be sure to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to follow our guest today, you can do so on Twitter at Kinship Perez. If you'd like to reach me, you can do so at Kendra Arsenault with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow our sponsors today, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship. And make sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created by yours truly and engineered by Ari Bates of Aberration Films and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International.